So I wanted to answer a question that has come up now a couple of times recently as we've been making our way through our eschatology study here and uh, describing how I think things will pan out um, biblically in terms of an order of events, uh, things that are soon but yet to come. Uh, and the question revolves around the third temple. Um, I often make the point that there is going to be a third temple that Antichrist will walk into and uh, and desecrate and this kind of thing, And uh, as the Bible describes. But the question comes up that if Christ finished the work, if all of the sacrifices and offerings uh, were, were satisfied and fulfilled in Christ, then why would there be a third temple? Now, we know on the one hand that logic is sound, right? I mean, um, Jesus, as John said, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, we, Jesus himself said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, right? And uh, Paul talks about in Colossians 2, uh, the idea that the things that were before were ultimately shadows, but the reality is Christ. And so, um, and so we, we recognize on the one hand that, yes, absolutely, Jesus finished the work on the cross, tetelestai. It is finished, paid in full. However, the Bible does seem to indicate that there is yet going to be a third temple. As a matter of fact, uh, let me read a few passages here that help us understand that this is yet coming. Uh, if you have your Bible handy, and of course I hope you do, we're going to go ahead and open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and just read a couple of passages here. Um, um, now, I will mention, we, we did a video on the coming third temple uh, a little while back, and so I'm going to put the link in the notes here so you can watch that as well. But again, this is a great question, and for those who maybe didn't see that video um, or maybe want to watch that one along uh, in concert with this, it could be helpful to kind of understand this idea. So, um, or at least we're, what I believe the Bible is teaching about this. So, um, Paul in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, I'll just read verses 3 and 4, and that gives us a good starting point. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, or the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, this is also spoken of in Daniel chapter 11. Um, matter of fact, I'll invite you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. We'll look at that for just a moment, too. In Daniel chapter 9. Verses uh, 24 through 27, of course, we're, um, we're given the 70 weeks prophecy. The 70th week of Daniel is what's in view in this period of time we're talking about. But I'll encourage you to read verses 24 through 27, really the whole book of Daniel. But verses 24 to 27, I'm going to just focus on verse 27 here. Um, verse 26 talks about the coming destruction of the temple in 70 AD. But then afterward, there is still a, a description of what is going to happen later yet. In verse 27, then he, speaking of Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. Now, Daniel calls this the abomination of desolation at the end of Daniel's prophecy. Um, but that's what he's referring to here as well. Even until the consummation which is determined is poured out upon the desolate or the desolator, the one who desolates the temple. So, what is in view here is the idea that there will be an Antichrist who will sign a covenant with Israel for one week or one seven-year period of time. In the middle of that 70th week, that last week, that seven-year period of time, he will violate the covenant and cut off sacrifices and offerings. Well, the fact that there are sacrifices and offerings would imply that there's a temple in which those things take place. Uh, the reason we know that is because for all of these centuries now, two millennia, 
they've not been able to, the Jews have not been able to practice those sacrifices and offerings because they have no temple. And so therefore, the fact that they are cut off again implies that there will be a temple in that time. In concert with what Paul is saying, we know that he's go- the, the same Antichrist is going to walk into the temple and declare himself to be God and demand to be worshipped above all that is called God. So the idea that there will be, matter of fact, one more passage, uh, Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 15, where Jesus himself, referring to Daniel's prophecy, says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, let the reader, let him who reads understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and he goes on to talk about it, uh, what, what the response to this should be. But he makes mention of the fact that there will be an abomination of desolation yet standing in the holy place. Now, this is one of the important things for us to recognize is that this has not happened yet. In uh, 165 BC, there was an attempt um, by Antiochus Epiphanes, or I should say Antiochus Epiphanes did go in and desecrate the temple during the Maccabean period and uh, set up a statue to Jupiter. He slaughtered a pig in the altar. He completely desecrated the temple. And so the tendency might be to think, well, that's what Daniel was talking about. However, Jesus, after those events, still points yet future to an event that fulfills Daniel's prophecy. So Antiochus Antiochus Epiphanes' um, activities in that, uh, the the activities of Antiochus Epiphanes, that's a tongue twister, but those things took place prior to Christ's words, and so they may serve as a, they, they do serve as a type of what will one day happen, but they're not the actual fulfilling of Daniel's prophecy. However, Jesus pointing forward to this happening has led some to think, well, maybe Titus Vespasian and his uh, assault upon Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple that took place during that period is the fulfillment of these things. However, in Titus's time, Titus Vespasian, uh, the temple was destroyed arguably whether it was inadvertently or whatever, but the idea was, uh, or the the point is, that the temple was destroyed, but at no point did Titus go in there or anybody go in there at that point and declare himself to be God or any of those things. And so that could not have been the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, which means it has not yet been fulfilled. So the idea that this will happen under the time and tenure of the Antichrist makes perfect sense, and it seems to be clear that's what the Bible is talking about. And this takes place we see it take place in Revelation chapter 13, uh, when the Antichrist and the false prophet um, are in power. The false prophet establishes, uh, sets up an image or has an image set up in the holy place um, in fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about in reference to Daniel's prophecy. He de- uh, uh, the world is required to take a mark of allegiance. They're all bow- uh, forced to bow down and worship and all this. And of course, we see lots of description of the Antichrist. Uh, throughout uh, various points throughout Scripture that fill out the picture of what he's going to do, but one of the one of the more comprehensive explanations of him is found again in Paul's writing uh, about this son of perdition, the man of sin, who demands to be worshipped above all that is called God, declaring himself to be God, and so on. So, the fact that there will be a third temple seems abundantly clear in Scripture. So, of course, then we have to ask why. I mean, after all, didn't Christ fulfill these things? Well, key to understanding the why is understanding the condition of Israel when that temple is built. Now, remember, Israel, as Paul says, matter of fact, if you want to turn to in Romans chapter 11, 
uh, in Romans chapter 11, verses, um, let me uh, start in verse 25 through 27, where Paul writes in his great discussion on God's sovereignty and, and in connection with the nation of Israel, in chapter 11, verse 25, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own eyes or opinion, that blindness has in part happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Uh, in other words, they are blinded right now. They are living in unbelief. They are living in rejection of Messiah at this point, nationally speaking. There are Jews who have come to faith. As a matter of fact, the church was predominantly Jewish in the earliest point, and then it became open to the Gentiles uh, uh, in Acts chapter 10 and beyond. Um, and so it is now a coming together, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2.14, this, this breaking down of the wall of separation, bringing together these two groups. However, Nationally speaking, Israel continues to live in disbelief and unbelief. And so, however, they will, as he goes on to say in verse 26, all Israel will be saved as it's written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so he's quoting from the Psalms and Isaiah and such. This is going to happen one day, but as a means to bringing them to that point, there will be this temple erected by Israel under the, uh, under the permission, presumably, of Antichrist, and they will build it. But when they build that temple, it's important to understand that in their unbelief, this temple will be an abomination to God, uh, and it will reach its abominable apex when the Antichrist goes into it and desecrates it. But remember, this temple is not being built um, in belief. It's being built in unbelief. And so the fact that it can be built is certainly an affront to the finished work of God. The fact that it's um, the reinstituting of the sacrificial system is an evidence of the unbelief of Israel in the finished work of their Messiah, Jesus. However, as it says in Zechariah and other places, Hosea, there's a, a, a seeming connection with this idea of Israel calling out uh, for God to, you know, to forgive them and this kind of thing. And Messiah responds by returning to save them both physically and ultimately spiritually, as Paul would say here in, in 11, uh, 1126 in Romans. <clears throat> so they are in unbelief all the way, nationally speaking, all the way up, basically until the time of the tribulation, and in some cases until the actual return of Christ, when they look upon him whom they pierced and they mourn over him. Uh, many Jews will be saved during the tribulation. We know at least 144,000 will be. Uh, and we know that... Um, 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 Israel nationally, as, as Paul says, will be saved. So the temple is built in unbelief. It is desecrated in unbelief by the ultimate desecrator, the Antichrist himself. And then when Christ returns, uh, my belief is, and, and a lot of us who study prophecy generally suppose that this temple will ultimately be wiped away when Christ returns and he will establish what is known as the Millennial Temple, which is described in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 46. Uh, so, or 40, yeah, 46. And so, um, so that will be the millennial temple where he will rule and reign from in Jerusalem and that kind of thing. So the essentially, simply put, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll commend you to watch the previous video on the coming third temple for further detail on that. But um, ultimately, uh, the temple that will be built, A, it will be built because the Bible seems to make very clear that there will be a temple during the time of Antichrist that he will desecrate. But it is not built in belief, but unbelief. And so that's why that temple can be built. It's not actually a testimony to Christ and his finished work. 
it's an affront to it. It's a demonstration of disbelief in that finished work. Um, but it ultimately becomes a means through which uh, God um, um, allows, uh, you know, or brings about the fulfillment of those prophecies that he spoke of uh, through, again, Paul, Jesus, Daniel, and such, you know, um, uh, as these passages are given to us. But we should not mistakenly believe that somehow this is the temple sanctioned by God, like he's calling for, for sacrifices and offerings to be brought into play. He is simply describing what's going to be in that time. But it is an abomination in and of itself. It won't be a, a temple that actually honors God. Uh, it's not one that he calls to be built, like the Old Testament tabernacle or when Solomon built the temple and that kind of thing, or when Haggai's temple was built. Um, none of those things, those things were certainly uh, of the Lord, but this temple in the last days is not. So um, even though it will be built, it is not, uh, it is not something that will, was, will ultimately see, be seen as something that honors and worships God, but rather instead it's an abomination, uh, ultimately desecrated by uh, uh, the desolator, the Antichrist. So hopefully that gives a little light, brings a little clarity to the idea. Uh, and so uh, any questions or thoughts on that, of course, you can always raise them. As, as you can tell, obviously, I like to get your questions and try to address them. So feel free to share them if you like on our YouTube channel here below. If you want to go to my website at parsonspad.com, you can do that as well. You can, you can watch the videos, you can comment, you can email from there. Uh, or if you want to go to our church's website as well, at calvarychapelfranklin.com. Of course, we'd love to have you pay us a visit on a Sunday. Uh, if you're coming through the area, if you're new to the area and looking for a church, we'd love to have you come fellowship with us. So check us out. Again, calvarychapelfranklin.com. So, Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to consider these things. Uh, we do know that in the days to come, the world will be characterized by unbelief fully, uh, except for that small, small group that, uh, uh, by comparison, that small group that will come to believe and will have to live through a very, very difficult time uh, in anticipation of Christ's second coming. And so, Father, we just pray for, uh, for the gospel to go forth today in such a way that many, many thousands and even millions would be saved before we ever get to that point, that they might be raptured away when Jesus comes for his bride. But Father, we do thank you that the end of all things is coming, that you're ultimately going to wrap up human history. Righteousness will reign. Jesus will rule. The world will be as it was supposed to be. Uh, and then even beyond that, Lord, after even the, your final judgment and all of this, one day we'll enter into eternity and enjoy your presence forever. There's such a glorious plan unfolding even before our eyes today. Help us to be aware of it, to be watchful, to be mindful, and to have our hands on the plow as we, as we do. Thank you for your grace, your goodness, your love, your mercy, your unfolding plan, your word where we learn about it, all of these things. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.